Hey, you busy? Mm-mm. Okay, let me run something past you real quick. In case you are not really sure on my stance regarding Earth, I just want to go ahead and make my statement known um, now. Earth is very ghetto. <laughs> it's giving ghetto. It's giving G H E T T E O E E E E E E O ghetto, and that's how we gonna spell it ghetto. Okay, because I don't understand, and and I'll and I'll be honest. I kind of had an idea that Earth was ghetto when I tried to learn other languages. And realize that every other language that is prominent, Spanish, French, Italian, is way easier to learn and grasp if you were to compare it to the English language. O-M-G. You talk about confused. I'm sorry, how many ways can you spell two? And it means all different things. I, there, there, and there. <laughs> okay, wait. So if I use it in this instance, it has to mean over there. But then this one means possession. Like, no, that's theirs. And then, yeah, just, man, my mind going to hold you. Please pass me on uh, att attendance alone because I'm not going to be able to do it. But then it really started getting um, the more ghetto, you know, as we just decided we was going to create new diseases and just pass them around and just start compounding words with, I just, I can't like pox and monkey. And I, and I don't want, I don't want to be bothered, but something got my attention. If I were to ask you the following question, tell me how you naturally would have answered it. The question is, are you undervalued? Take a second to like really think about that. The question is, are you undervalued? Now, when I first posed the question to myself, because I'm going to always go ahead and test my own product, you understand? you understand? I know Biggie wouldn't approve, but, you know, God bless him. When I heard that question and posed it to myself, the first thing that I thought was it was almost a self-centered approach. Am I being undervalued? Is someone not accepting the value that I am and all the things, right? And immediately it takes you to, ideas about relationships and job places and like, yeah, they didn't value me this time the third. And I was like, but that's not how that question should be perceived. So I went ahead and just to prove how I feel about the English language, I went ahead and took the word under and value separately. I wanted to define it separately to see how they got the compound word to mean something that didn't connect to the isolated words. So according to the uh, Oxford American dictionaries and the bishops thereof, the word under has several meanings, but we'll just read the first two. Under means extending or directly below. The second definition is at a lower level than. So that just sounds like the position right? Somebody is under, like a submarine. A submarine is underwater. Do you understand? Do you have an understanding of what I'm trying to say? It's, it's just the positioning of a, of a thing. 
the definition, same Oxford dictionaries and the bishops thereof, the definition of value also has several different definitions, but we're going to go ahead and go with the second. It is, I'll read the first one too. So the first two are nouns. The first one says the regard that something is held to deserve, the importance, the worth, or usefulness of something. The second definition is a person's principles or standards of behavior, one's judgment of what is important in life. Okay. So this is essentially saying the value that you put on something, how much you deem that is worth, how much you deem that is important, how much you deem that is useful. Cool. So why is it that when I define the word, the compound word of undervalue, it's only one definition and here it is. It's a verb. It says rate something insignificantly high, fail to appreciate. I'm sorry. What? Hold on. To rate something insignificantly high to fail to appreciate it. And then they have a bullet point underneath it that says underestimate the financial value of something. Time out. If under is just a position of a thing and value is how much you deem it important, significant, and, and how much you accept it, then how did you put those two words together and make it a negative? So when you ask someone, are you undervalued? They hear, are you undervalued? Does someone not deem you to be necessary? Does someone not understand the value that you bring to a thing? Does someone not understand the fact that you are important and they treat you like you are serving silver when you actually are platinum? And it gives you that perspective. But I rebuke the English language because I don't feel like that question should be received that way. And it's not past tense, right? I'm not asking, are you undervalued? That, that, that's past tense. It's the ED. Again, English language is very ghetto. What I'm asking is, are you under value? Meaning the significance of what you are under, whether it's a company, whether it's a supervisor, whether it's a mission statement of sorts, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a family hierarchy, whether it's the place that you live, wherever you are at, you don't have to be the top notch. You don't have to be the CEO. You don't have to be the president. You don't have to be the creator of all the things, but you have to be able to assess if you are positioned under something that is valuable. Because I tell you what, that makes a heck of a difference for the overall stance of something. If you have a supervisor that values her subordinates and the subordinates value their particular task and the task that they are doing, they put that actual level of just dedication and hard work and just overall just excellence in what they do. Do you know how better off that company will be? Everybody will be Chick-fil-A status. Why do you think Chick-fil-A people, okay, are much different than the grandbabies that are not Chick-fil-A? You're not going to have me say McDonald's and be, and be gossiping in these streets. I'm not doing it. But why do you think Chick-fil-A has a different air about them? Now, the new age Chick-fil-A, how they hiring, we're going to go with the standard of what we know for Chick-fil-A to be, okay? Because the CEO, the president, whoever is in the higher seating, 
seat, right? That person decided this is how we're going to run our company. We are going to be closed on Sundays. We're going to be this, that, and third. And they have some policies that they adhere to that make sure that we value the time and the people that we actually hire. So when you put people in that position and then you have workers that are above the other workers and just that's why by the time you have to ask for extra, extra ketchup, you're not getting an attitude. Because those people are under the value of someone else who is under the value of someone else who is under the value of the highest person that there is. There is something so beautiful about seeing a wife that is under the value of a husband who is worth carrying that last name. You can see the polar opposite difference between a woman who is covered in Christ, in the covenant that God put together, and a woman who is just barely clothed in the covenant that she put together. There is a huge difference. I can look at a woman and look in her soul and see you are not being stewarded well. Because the Bible says that a man is supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And so if Christ put that level of value like, I want you to love her the way that I love the church, then that means that when we look at her, it should be a direct reflection on how much this man has loved and poured into his wife. You can tell if a woman, if a wife is under value, if she is actually flourishing and bearing the fruit thereof. You can tell when a child is, is well manicured. You can tell when a child is well taken care of. You can tell when a child's needs are being absolutely met. You can tell that from a very young age before they're ever, ever able to talk. And that is because when a child is valued, the fruit of that is a child with a different temperament, is a child that has meeting their milestones, is a child that is thriving either on the course that they're supposed to be on or way above it. Got babies walking at 10 months. Like, I'm sorry, what are you doing? <laughs> You're supposed to be crawling for a little bit. You don't got to do all that until like two, three months. Like, but you know what? That's between you and the Lord. And it is something so beautiful to actually see them. No matter what the actual title in the family, in the company, in the friendship, E or the above, that when you're valued, it shows it shows in the overall decisions that are made. It shows in the way that you carry out your tasks being underneath that particular person or underneath that particular value. I think that if we actually had that particular mindset, we wouldn't feel some kind of way of, of not having a particular title. It wouldn't matter if you were the janitor, if you were the janitor under a company that you valued and vice versa a company that actually showed that they valued you. Imagine a company having where they go ahead and give incentives that were meaningful to the janitor for just doing a job that not necessarily everybody does. But if you were to miss a couple of days, everybody will be putting in a complaint. The bathroom's flooded. It smells like a certain way. It, it, that one toilet's been nasty for I don't know how long. Everyone can tell when the bathrooms aren't being manicured the way that they're supposed to. But it's always 
it's not always brought to a place of recognition where we can say, yo, you know what? You do a job <laughs> that is literally roll sleeves up like it's a dirty job and not everyone can do that, but we're not even going to put a dirty kind of condensation on it. What we're going to do is honor you because everyone in this company benefits from the work that you do. Imagine janitors got that type of recognition incentive and just overall compensation, whether it's time off, whether it's more money, whether whatever it is, because you, there is no such thing as a lazy janitor. You know why? Cause you can't, you can't kind of flow under the radar. Like I said, somebody's going to report the bathroom being nasty. Imagine going to a high establishment and the bathrooms are dirty. The first thing they're going to do, uh, did you know there was no toilet tissue in there? But there is certain jobs that you cannot just, hey, I'm going to sit here and not do nothing. Like, no, we get to tell that. But who's showing value to that person? And I do not believe that a person can do their job thoroughly and with excellence until they understand that they are under value. They are serving in a company that they align with the missions and the values of that company. They are serving under a supervisor that they actually, you know what, she works and he works to a level that I can respect and they would never ask me to do anything that they are not willing to do and they see my particular input that I put on this team, that I put in this unit. And so it makes me want to pour more into my work because of the fact that they are able to identify the value that I bring. You cannot properly serve a man if you do not buy into, feel connected to, or feel led to the mission and overall vision that he has for you and the family. It is very difficult to try to be submissive under a value that doesn't align with you. That's why it is very important in according stages for you to ask someone, where do you see yourself in five to 10? <laughs> Even though you cannot tell me the exact coordinates, tell me where you set your GPS on so I can truly make a good assessment of myself and see if I need to be your passenger. Because if not, I don't want to waste your time or my time trying to put two steering wheels in one car. You trying to drive over there and I'm trying to drive over here. And then we're wondering why we're not arriving anywhere. And it's because you are not, you cannot submit to a statement or a marital covenant that you do not see value in. It is very difficult to do that. That's why you need to ask really, really important questions. How do you reprimand children? What, what is, what is your, your punishment style? What is your parenting style? How do you communicate? There is so much in learning. Okay, you're getting in the car with someone for the rest of your life. Please, please, please ask enough questions to make sure that you're not only going in the same direction, but that this is going to be a comfortable seating arrangement for you. Because let me tell you something, for the height, and, and wait that the God made this grandbaby, there's not a lot of cars I can fit in comfortably. Yeah. You're not going to be, if my knees have to be very much near my ears, please just tell me that we only go on one exit away. But if you tell me that this is road trip status, now I have to make a different decision for me and myself because I won't be able to properly serve you not riding in this car as a passenger. So I would have to respectfully decline.
Okay. Respectfully say, you know what? I cannot submit to this because the value I'm disconnected from the value of this. And when I was thinking about the question again, are you under value? It is simply asking what you are currently serving under just position wise. If you are serving under someone, do you authentically see the value in them? Do you connect to the value of your friends? Because it's not that friends essentially grow apart or, you know, everybody gets busy. It's the fact of what they value, you can no longer value. And so there is a de- divide in vision, which makes division, which is why y'all have to go y'all separate ways. And when I read this particular portion of the Bible, it could not have illustrated a better depiction of truly serving under value. I want to read in second Kings chapter five, where the healing of Naaman happened. And I'm going to read a couple of verses. So go ahead and make sure that you, uh, you know, buckle your seatbelt. So verse one, the King of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him, the Lord had given Aram great victories But through Naaman was a mighty warrior. He suffered from leprosy. Two, at this time, the Armenian raiders had invaded the land of Israel. And among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. Three, one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of leprosy. Four, So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Five, go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Pause, because I can't even go any further. They had a young girl. The Bible wanted you to know that she was young. Okay, because sometimes we overlook people because of their age. That's why the Bible says, listen, don't let anyone make you feel some kind of way because of your age. It says it in Proverbs, read your Bible. And that's a prior phrase. But the Bible wanted you to know that she was not only a captive, but she was a girl. So she was far removed from, you're not a family member. You're no one that we've been knowing for some time. We haven't built a super duper rapport. You're new. Not only are you new, but you are young. Not only are you young, you were given to Naaman's wife as a maid. Yet, however they treated this girl, she saw the value in being able to articulate a statement that will help Naaman. In verse 3, she's, one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master will go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. The very next verse, verse four says, so Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Time out. Because the young girl only told Naaman's wife. Naaman's wife had to go ahead and tell Naaman for Naaman to then go ahead and tell the king. 
And then the king says in verse five, go and visit the prophet. The king of Aram told him, I will send a letter of introduction for you to take the king of Israel. So we already know the king, how the king feels about Naaman, because uh, in verse one, before we even get into any of this, it says the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman because of the victories that he had won through him. So the value was already set between Naaman and the king. But for this young girl to see enough value in Naaman to say, you know what? I know I can't speak to him directly, but I have some information that will be able to help him. Even though he's a great warrior and he he's doing all these things and the king gave him, you know, just special treatment and has great admiration for him. It's one thing that he's missing. He is missing being free of leprosy. And although I don't have to go out there in the fields and fight for him, although I don't have to sleep in the bed with him because I'm not his wife, although I don't have to be his attendant because I only take Take care of his wife. There is something about being under this particular leadership, this particular family that I see the value in advocating for Naaman. And so this young girl was able to have enough rapport that she said something to the wife and the wife. So value enough in what she said, not having proof. It's not like they were from that part of town. And it's like, Oh yeah, let me go tell him this girl pitched an idea. And it was, okay, I'm going to go ahead and say it to Naaman's wife. Naaman's wife had to have enough rapport with her husband to say, hey, I don't have all the proof and I wasn't able to pull it up on Google, but if this young girl said it, then I have no reason not to believe it. So listen, she's saying that you should go ahead and see about old buddy in Samaria to see about your leprosy. And thank God that Naaman didn't, undervalue the way that is that word is defined in the English language. I'm not going to get upset, but thank God that he didn't undervalue his wife because he could have looked at her like woman. Listen, you stick over there with the cooking and the cleaning and all the things that you're supposed to do culturally. I'll handle the man part. But the last thing I need you telling me is what I should be doing with my skin and how she know anything about blah, blah, blah. But however Naaman valued his wife, it was enough not to even question. There's not even a dialogue on what makes her believe that that's okay. Okay. And then also tell me, how does she know? And, um, like when did she tell, it was none of that. It is a straight beeline from when this girl spoke to the wife from the wife speaking to Naaman and when Naaman speaking to the King, that shows you literally the illustration of look at all that value. The fact that the King is valuing Naaman and that Naaman values his wife and that his wife values the young girl that's a servant and that the servant girl sees the value in all the hierarchies before her. When you value something, everybody wins. When you see the value in something from, from the head to the toe, everybody wins. Because she could have shut up. She could have had the spirit of the shut up not said anything and buddy don't need nothing else. I mean, he got admiration from the King. He doesn't, he doesn't need anything else, but when you value something, you're able to go ahead and fulfill anything that looks like lack. Like, yeah, you know what? You probably have the money, but you don't have peace of mind. And so if you value someone who doesn't have peace of mind, you'll go ahead and let God use you on some recommendations that will bring that. 
if you value someone that's actually living a life and you're like, I don't think that's going to bring you quality of life, then you will actually say something and pitch an idea that if they value you, they won't, it won't be no argument. I love the fact that, because in real time, imagine someone who cleans your home that you don't really have a relationship because you, you out there and do whatever you're doing says, Hey, um, that thing that you suffering with and have been suffering with, you should go to a person you don't know in a location where you're not really certain of and go there because I know they will heal you. We would ask questions. Did they heal somebody that you know? Okay. Well, how much does it cost? Okay, so what's the process? Like, how long does it, the way that we are equipped to value something now is, oh, we got to have proof. No, we got to know somebody who knows somebody who we can say, oh, okay, that's your work. Sometimes we, we have eliminated the ability for us to just walk out on faith. If someone else says it, and we value that what someone else is saying, and it doesn't go against our morals or the way that we feel God is aligning us, why we question so much? Just, yo, go to buddy who could possibly heal you. You have everything else but quality of life at this point, sir. So go ahead and do it. <sighs> Let me finish up. Okay, so <laughs> verse four, because I got so much to say. It's so much in that. Companies will be well-organized, much better ran. Marriages will, will feel better. It will be a well-oiled machine. Mothers and daughters and mothers and sons and fathers and sons and fathers and daughters. It will be such a different dynamic and rapport if everybody saw the value in each other. Then the overall unit will be of value. The overall unit would win. So anyway, he went ahead and told the king, right? Verse five, go and visit the prophet. The king of Aram told him, I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold and 10 sets of clothing. Six, the letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Seven. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. Eight. <laughs> but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send name him to me. And he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. Pause. That shows you right there. But he couldn't even see that the request was with good intent. What happened in the past, either between you and Naaman or you and another, another king, that you can't see past someone's genuine attempt to help somebody else? Help me, Holy Spirit. Someone prior to Naaman... Someone prior to the king of Aram changed your perspective in such a way 
that you overreact when someone is asking a simple request. You got someone that comes in the company and actually is doing some things that you can see the value that they're putting in in that particular unit, in that particular team, in that particular portion of the organization. And they come to you and they say, hey, it's been this particular amount of time. I've done these particular amount of changes. Have you seen the value that I brought? Yes. Okay, cool. I would like to go ahead and discuss a pay raise. But because you don't see the value in that position, because nobody else prior to this person in that position either had the intellect to ask, the courage and the confidence to show, yo, this is what I what I've done. This is the value that I've brought to this department because of what happened prior to the new person requesting. You can't honor it because of how you see that seat. Yeah, let somebody really come to you and really genuinely want to get to know you. They're not asking to learn your social security number. They're not asking to meet your family five minutes from now. They just simply want to get to know you. And you can't even get past a genuine request because of what happened prior to you or what happened prior to that request. There are some people who are just genuinely asking questions, who are just genuinely trying to make a connection, who are just genuinely asking for whatever it is that you can do. And, and he didn't come empty handed. Little did he know he's not coming empty handed, but what about that request made you react in such a way? What about buddy asking you out? What about old girl asking you about your, your parental relationships? What about that particular request, that particular statement that made you overreact to that degree that you could not sense or discern the genuineness of the original statement? Are you undervalue what happened that something could really infect how you hear, read, or receive something. Cause reading it this way, it's like, bro, you're overreacting. When I first read it by myself, I'm like, this is absolutely, this is ridiculous. But Elisha's the one that went ahead and put the stamp on. In verse eight, but when Elisha, the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Like, bro, calm down. Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there's a true prophet here in Israel. Nine. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. 10. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. 11. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. 12. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the Parah? better than any of these rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I washed in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. 13. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him. When he says simply, go and wash and be cured. 14. 
So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. 15. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Pause. The reason why most people miss out on their biggest blessings in life is because they cannot calm their emotions and expectations and perspectives down enough to know that God operates in simplicity. Let there be light. Simple. Let there be everything else in Genesis. Simple. If you want to be saved, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Simple. If you have faith at least the size of a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to go and this mountain will have to flee. Simple. You ask anything in the name of Jesus Christ and Father God will give it to you. Yes, I say, like he said it three times in one chapter. Simple. You come to me with childlike faith. Simple. We make matters of living and receiving so complex. We make matters. This man literally said, I thought he would have certainly come out to meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy. One, and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. Okay, sir, but he didn't do all that. He said, go outside, dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of the leprosy. Either way, you're getting the outcome. What's stopping you from getting what you came there for in the first place? You're going to make it a waste of a trip because it wasn't as you expected. You're going to make it a waste of a meeting because it she didn't say what you expected. You're going to make it a waste of a courtship because you didn't feel the way that you expected. But if your intentions were pure and your intentions are still at the place that they can be met, then why not just go ahead and do it in a way that you're like, listen, I don't understand the whole seven dip thing, but if the prophet Elisha's saying so, then I'm going to do it because I see the value of him. And he don't even have to come out to meet me because I understand that my position is under, not my value. My value is not under, my position is under, but I value what this man is saying. And so I'm going to go ahead and do what needs to be done to get what I came out here to get. Very simple. This man was going to waste that entire trip. I wish the Bible would have said how long it took him to get there. But was going to waste the entire trip Because of a silent, unmet expectation? Bruh, if you felt that, when the king of Aram wrote down what he wrote, maybe you should have said, hey, and can you also add that this is the only way that I'm willing to receive my healing? Can you also add that he needs to come out here and heal me? He needs to come out here and meet me. He needs to wave his hand and do all the things. He needs to go ahead and hoop and holler because that's the only way I've received the word. He needs to go ahead and be able to sing. And the Bible says, because if it's not emotionality, then I can't receive what God is saying. So can it, it can only come this way in order for me to receive what's mine. There are so many times that we get caught up in the emotionalism of a thing that you don't think is God. 
Cause you don't have the butterflies. Cause you didn't get the goosebumps. Cause you didn't get the like, I'm sorry. How old are we? Not in age, but in spirit. Like how old are you? Have you not grown that you can only take milk? Like, are you not at the place in the spirit where you can eat meat now? Like at this point, we need to go ahead and start looking at ourselves and saying, are we growing not with birthdays, but in the spiritual realm? Are you still wearing diapers? Cause that's ridiculous. We're not wasting any opportunities to get what God has for us. We're not wasting any opportunities to hear what God has for us. And it don't have to be goosebumped. It don't have to be with a preacher's person playing a piano and an organ in the background. It don't have to be none of that. God can speak to you in the shower. God can speak to you in the car. God can speak to you wherever your attention is at. But you think it can only be in a certain way and you can only feel a certain way to confirm that it's him. And I don't read that it's like that. So many people are missing God. Because they, they made his message emotional. They made his messaging complex. It's none of that. He is so simple. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit a gentleman. He comes as a whisper sometimes. Sometimes he's a lamb and sometimes he's a lion of Judah. But you have to be in tune with him enough to see how he's speaking to me in this season, on this circumstance, in this situation. But praise God for Naaman having at least a different perspective when it came to his officers. Because they was going to go ahead and let him know, like, bruh, you are overreacting. It says in verse 13, but his officers tried to reason with him and said, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he's simply saying, go and wash and be cured. Read that last statement again and will. So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, simply go and wash and be cured. Simply. I honestly feel like right now in this moment, that's the word to break free on a couple of chains that's been there for way too long. Simply. Chaos loudness, confusion, frustration, anything that yields a lack of clarity is not God. God will simplify things for you. God will go ahead and make your path straight. He says that if you ask him, he'll tell you which path to take and he will make all crooked roads straight, that he will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. There is no reason why you should be confused in anything. If you are confused, simplify your life. Go ahead and extract the busy. Whatever is taking up much of your attention needs to be starved until you understand the aspect of simplicity when it comes to your savior. There is something powerful in that. All he needed to do was go and wash and be cured. Go and wash and be cured. Praise God that he saw the value of his officers. Praise God that the officers saw the value in him. Because if they didn't and they were too afraid to say anything or they felt like, listen, this was a free trip for me, so I'm cool. Buddy, come here and I ain't my skin. Like, (laughs) whatever. Like, if we started shifting our mindsets to value one another, the whole unit wins. 
Now you go out there, you have a trip with him. You're able to see that, man, someone that you value got cured of something that was actually putting them in torment. And now the whole thing, the whole thing is a win. It doesn't have to necessarily be your win, but if it's a win that's related to something that you value, it is your win. Do you see that? Like between husband and wife. It don't matter who get blessed. God is blessing the covenant, even if it comes through a stream or a resource of one of the people. If God blesses one of the children, it don't matter which one of the children. Now the whole family's getting blessed. If God blesses the particular organization, it don't matter which supervisor brought that in or whatever the case may be. Now the whole organization is being blessed. We need to go back. So first answering the question that I asked you in the beginning of this call, are you under value? And if you're not my challenge to you, get under an organization, a relationship, E or the above that you actually value because you carry yourself differently when you see the value in a thing. And when there's value constantly being pushed into an item, into a vision, into a E or the above, the overall unit wins. You no longer have permission to be under something that you don't value. Nobody wins that way. And a lot of us, too many of us, know exactly what that feels like. Why don't you try doing something different? Sign up for jobs that you value. Be around friends that you value. Only talk to the family members that you value. Like, start making a shift in your mindset in the time that you give in that if I don't value it, then I don't want to waste my time in it because nobody wins when everybody's for self. That's how you start to go ahead and see sub, under sub, uh, standard supervisors and relationships. And that's when it starts looking fishy. So what's the challenge? Go find some value and ask the question that will help you evaluate that. Are you under value? All right. Listen, I feel like you got what you needed. Mm -hmm. You know what these conversations are, right? Sure do. They are conversations. What, what was the conversation? Right. There are conversations. <laughs> I got stuck. There are conversations that nobody else is going to have with you, but who? Your favorite homegirl. Life-provoking conversations, if you will. Okay. But uh, I was so busy thinking about a website. Do you know which website I'm talking about? Sure you do. Created, the number two, multiply.com. That's what all the things are doing, all the things, the inspirational merch for the entire family. Just this the great thing that God is doing. And I'm super duper excited about the text and blog community on the Patreon site for Strive, the letter N, Inspire. Yeah, it's all, it's all great things. It's all going up. And it don't have to be a Tuesday. <laughs> but you have uh, Patreons and websites and evangelism and all that stuff that you need to do because you should see the value in our conversations, right? You saw how I did that? Right. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and let you let me go. We talk later, okay? All right, later. <laughs>